The next day, the large crowd that came to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a coat. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but... When Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd, I mean the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to him, I mean, went to meet him was that they heard he had done these signs. So the Pharisees said to one another, "You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him." This is God's word. Praise the Lord. You remain standing. We're going to pray together. Thank you, Ken, brother. Body heads, please, guys. It says in spirit, as you're just singing out to the Lord, let's just pray and ask God's blessing over our time. Holy Spirit, we pray you'll bring glory to Jesus right now. Uh, That's your job. That's what you say you're about. In John 16, we trust you in that. We pray that our hearts... um, yeah, we'll just be open to your guidance. Uh, apart from uh, your Holy Spirit working in us, we don't want to hear your truth. Uh, we don't want to be about your business. But we thank you. You've made us alive again in Christ Jesus. And so I can say with confidence uh, that you're doing a work in us. And I can ask, we can ask you uh, to fill us with your spirit, as you tell us in Ephesians 5. And uh, we believe in faith you'll do that. So would you do that, Jesus? Would you fill us with, with your spirit and allow us to walk in your ways? Um, would you allow us to not just be simply hearers of your word, deceiving ourselves, but doers of the scriptures as we see what you tell us? Would you encourage us right now? We just need a word from you, Jesus. We don't need uh, pithy sayings or performance by a man, me. Uh, we need uh, grace. We need uh, biblical faith. We need, we need you to touch us. And uh, so uh, we, we come here and we, we confess that uh, left unto ourselves, we come here and we try to Give people something, but Lord, Lord, would you just allow me to repent of that and, and everyone in here who tries to orchestrate a spiritual act. It happens through spirit. So spirit, would you move? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, family, praise the Lord. Be seated. Uh, this is just um, open up our Bibles, get some training going right quick. Praising God for our, um, our team who leads us in song and praise to prepare our hearts in worship. Very thankful for these guys. Um, you know, we're a reformed camp. We're going to give us a little, prepare you guys right now. There's Leon passing our Bible. So if you need uh, one for Pastor Leon, go ahead and raise your hand. We, we want to make sure that you're navigating through the scriptures in your, in your Bible. If you don't have one, you can use one here. And if you need one to take to the house, let us know. We'd love to give you one because we want you to be learning how to just do Bible gymnastics in your own time, okay? Uh, as you know, as a local community, we go through books of the Bible. Uh, hard behind that is left to ourselves. We'll probably stay in those safe places that make us look really cool. And so we like to go through just the whole council of God's word and hit hard topics, and it is what it is. Um, uh, today is a really fun time for us as a local community uh, because we get to uh, celebrate our Savior uh, in a very mon- monumental point in history. Uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through 19. That was read by my man Ken. All right. This is a very um, powerful passage uh, 
many of us have heard about it. Even if you're an unbeliever, you've heard of, heard of this story. And um, it's, a, it's a powerful story in the fact that when you think of the gospel writing, you think of the gospels, uh, the four gospels have all the uh, different writings of what's going on in Jesus' life and his history. Um, not all the stuff that happened in his life, but a lot of stuff, right? And what's interesting is up to this point, there's only probably, I think, four um, Four events that's happening in Jesus' life that are recorded in all four Gospels. Isn't that interesting? Uh, but then this event like kind of inaugurates kind of like the, the gospel writer saying, we're going we're gonna to tone things down. We're going to bring things in a little bit. We're going to make sure that this story is kind of tight when we get to this part. Right, because we want to make sure people understand that we all saw this. So you got four kind of acts that they all kind of agree on and, and kind of say the kind of the same thing all throughout the gospel. And then you get to the triumphal entry, and from the triumphal entry, you get a week. You get triumphal entry to Jesus' murder, and you got I think seven or eight acts <laughs> that are all recorded by the same by gospel writers each. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that cool how God does that stuff? Right, just to show you importance and like, hey, they were like, we're going to get this right. So this is kind of the, the beginning stage of that. This is recorded in all four Gospels, and it begins that, um, that sense of like, I want to make sure that you understand uh, this story. What's interesting to me is why do we call it a triumphal entry uh, when Jesus was murdered a week later? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Why is it called a triumphal entry uh, when you would think that, well, is that, is that triumphant to be uh, strung up on a cross and murdered? Uh, so we're going we're gonna to look at that. We're going to see how it unfolds, guys. And, 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 and what I want to say to you is as we, as we see it unfolds, I want to provide with you what I think seems to be kind of the movement of the passage. And so what I would like to do a lot of times, especially when I'm doing topical things like this, you want to give, I want to give kind of like, here's, here's the big idea and here's kind of the points. This passage, uh, this narrative doesn't kind of teach like that. It kind of gives you like a movement. All right, so we're going to be looking at kind of the movement of what's going on in the story. But it seems that within the movement of the story, kind of the main piece is this with the triumphal entry. I think that the triumphal entry is really about a day when God graciously asked the world to acknowledge him as king and to settle all accounts. Let me say that again. It seems to me as I look at the movement of the text that we're going to go through and I look at the other gospel writings, it seems that the triumphal entry is a time where actually God is just being really gracious. It's actually one of the most gracious times that's demonstrated in scriptures. I'm going to try to prove that uh, through the text in a moment where God graciously says to the world, I want you to acknowledge who I am. And because of that, I want you to settle accounts with me. All right. That's what seems to be the posture. Let's look at the scriptures and see what God says. See if, it, if you see the same movement I see. Okay, we start in verse 12. It says, uh, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, in the context here, you've just had uh, some cool things happen, right? Um, Jesus was up in Bethany hanging out uh, with people that you truly love. You have seen Lazarus risen from the dead. So a lot of cool stuff has just happened, okay, uh, prior to this, this him coming to Jerusalem. In fact, um, it says this large crowd in verse 12, right? This large crowd is probably um, two crowds actually forming. Okay, you got, you got the crowd in Jerusalem uh, because at this point uh, they would say like, 
you got Passover week is happening, so you have all the different individuals coming into the land, right? It's a huge onslaught. We talked about that when we were going through the book of Acts, as we were going through the book of Acts. In fact, historians would say there was probably over 250,000 sacrifices happening during the time of Passover because people are going to confess and sacrifice confess their sins. What that means, if there is probably 250,000 sacrifices, sacrifices always happen per family, Okay, so in Jewish individuals had big families, so they're thinking it was probably at least a million people who was coming to crash onto this land to celebrate uh, the Passover. Okay, all right, so keep that in mind. So you have this time where Jesus, this whole time, has been super covert, right? I mean, he would heal somebody, and then it'll be like, hey, guess what, Jesus? Shh, be quiet. He said, don't tell nobody right now, it's not time, right? Or he'll come over and the demons will go, oh my goodness, Jesus here, you're too early, Jesus, shut up. All right, jump over the, jump, jump over the cliff, shut up. It's not my time yet. So he's been covert the whole time, and all of a sudden you get this time where Jesus is going to come on the scene, and it seems super strategic that he's like, I want to come when the masses are around, when everything's on blast, when I got the most, I want to be the, in my height of my ministry, I want to come and do some work. Isn't that interesting? So that's what's happening. This is the picture here, okay? So you got two crowds for him. You got the, the Jerusalem crowd where people are like, man, we heard of this Jesus, and he's coming right now, so we got to go check him out. But you had another crowd. So that's one crowd, but you had another crowd. You had the crowd who actually was around when he did the healing and when he rose Lazarus from the dead. Okay, now you see that in verse 17. You go down to verse 17, you can peek at that while I'm talking to you, and you see that you got another crowd who's following Jesus. They're like, man, we just saw this brother raise somebody from the dead. Where are you going next, Jesus? Right, so they start following Jesus. Okay? So you have the height of his ministry, different from the past, two crowds forming, coming to Jerusalem. And verse 13 says, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out. And what I want to do here, I want to parse out the passage, but I'm going to make it a big chunk because it's a, it's a, because I think taking it, as I take it apart, I want to have it be one big chunk so you can see kind of how the story flows. So I'm going to read verse 13, 14, and 15 and kind of bounce back and forth. It says, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Love that. Right, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Okay, so let me uh, try and process with you this big chunk here. First, palm branches, right? So if you're new to palm branches, uh, left one in the back, uh, you're going to get some at the end. Uh, of service today, okay, and you can grab one, you'll notice uh, that they're kind of rugged, but they're also green. And so first palm branches in in Old Testament, just to give you a little history, it actually represents kind of celebration and joy, okay? So palm branches is about, it's a celebratory time, this is a joyous time, when you see palm branches, and from Old Testament, first century Jew, you thought, wow, things are happening, things are cool, it's a celebration and joy. And what a palm branch also represents is a sense of strength, okay, because they kind of flourish wherever, usually in like a desert place, Okay, but there are also issue of beauty, because a lot of times what beauty is emphasized in the Bible is when something's green and lush. Okay? So the question is, why is this joyous? Why is this time joyous? Okay? Well, if you look at the passage, because it seems to be a coronation. Right? They're calling him the Messiah and the King. Okay? And he cries out the word Hosea. 
I mean, Hosanna. And it says in Psalm 118, I would say he's getting this from, from Psalm 118, verse 25. This Hosanna, this word he's using, it actually means uh, to save, uh, to, to deliver, uh, literally to save now. Right? It's translated save now. So you got this. So I'm, I'm giving you this picture. You got this, this Jesus who has, all of his life has been kind of covert. He does some healings before. People are following him. He, God sets it up for his son to be on blast when he's murdered. So everybody sees it. So he comes in during the height of all the Jews and all the individuals coming in to celebrate Passover. Then you get here and these people are throwing down palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna, save us. And they're calling the king of, of, of Israel. That's the picture. This magnificent procession is kind of happening with this dude who's on a donkey. We'll talk about that in a moment. But guess what? This isn't the only procession. You know what's interesting about this time? And don't miss this because I think this is very important to what is kind of going on in the passage. There's also another procession. See, in antiquity, what was happening um, around AD 30, around this time, around the same time, what they would usually do is that the historians show that Pontius Pilate and, and the Romans leaders would actually have another procession during the same time. Did you know that? They'd have another procession, right? And so what would happen is that these, the, the, the procession would have the Roman cavalry and centurions, and they would, they would basically come on the city of Jerusalem, right, during this time of Passover, right? So it's interesting because they would do this during the time of Passover, and I'm wondering, Jesus does this on the same time. Okay, so as it were, the worldly king will come in on the land, right, during the time of Passover. We go, why? Why during the time of Passover? Well, let me explain. So basically, beginning of Passover was basically a strange, it was a strange festival to these Romans. But they thought, you know what? We'll let them do it um, so we don't have any more drama because they've had some revolts in history. Now, now think about what Passover is, guys. Passover is about what? It's about celebrating Right? The Hebrews have been being free from captivity. Okay? Isn't that ironic? So Passover is about celebrating these people who God says, I'm going to free you from Egypt. Well, they're in bondage right now. Right? In the first century, they're in bondage. Right? They're not in the same kind of slave mentality, but Rome is running things and they're in bondage. And so what's happened many years before, about 80 years before, these Jews got kind of frustrated and they rose up, right? And what happened was there was uh, basically Galilee and, 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 and the, town of, the town of Emmaus was so destroyed by a Roman army that then they destroyed the Roman army. I'm sorry, they destroyed uh, the Jews, the Roman army did. And then they took 2,000 Jews and they crucified them, okay? So now in their history, imagine this. So, so you know that the last time there was an uprising, you got really beat down. And it reminded you just how weak you are. And it made you wonder, how big is your God? Right? And so now, whenever you would have this Passover celebrating you being freed, right, you might, it might get the earth to want to rise up again. So what they would do is they would march the same time. Just so you remember, hey, I know all y'all here now. Y'all get kind of crazy when y'all get together. Right? So about a million of y'all. But remember last time, y'all got excited because y'all was all having your little family reunion, all right? And we had to put y'all down. We want to remind you who really is the king. We want to remind you who really is in power. We want you to have fear. We want to use our might and our power to remind you that we're in control. 
Isn't that interesting? So you're having this time of Passover. You got this, this, this worldly man and this worldly army coming to remind these guys who they are not. So you get this powerful, mighty picture procession in one one who's running things in the natural. And then look at verse 14 and 15. So you got this mighty profession. Look at verse 14 and 15. And Jesus, on the other procession, found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. As we're going through the text, and as I've given you the first, the title in the beginning, ask yourself, so man, what's going on in the triumphal entry? What's the meaning of the triumphal entry? Look at this. Jesus is, on, is not only on the colt, it's not on a donkey, but I love, I love the fact that he's on the donkey's baby. You notice that? Right? You know why he's doing that? Because he's trying to model humility in the utmost manner. See, you have the contrast. You have crazy and might and power in one. Look who we are. Look what we did. You better watch out. And then you got this very humble scenario, this guy on the donkey's child coming in as well. Who's the true king? You got built fear and trepidation and and concern and, oh, man, he's right. We're still oppressed. And you got Jesus. He's tranquil and humble. Hey, let me prove it to you a little more. Go to Zechariah chapter 9. This is where this passage is quoting Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Okay? And God inspired this 500 years before Christ's entry to Jerusalem. Praise God for that. Look what he says. Zechariah 9, verse 9. And what I want to do is, because I think it really helps us understand why do we have the triumphal entry. I'm going to, break, I'm going to try and break down this passage a little bit, and we're going to come back to John and um, hope, just continue to worship the Lord and go home, okay? It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud. This is verse 9 of Zechariah. Okay, this is where this is coming from. So it'll give us a little insight into what's going on here. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right? The tenor, basically, of that passage is that, you know what? He said, Israel, God hasn't forgotten you. All right? And he starts off by saying something. So notice it. So this is, this is where the passage is coming from, and I want you to see how it ministers to these guys today, because those Jews remember that passage, right? So first he says... He tells them, he gives them a command, rejoice, right? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, basically offspring of Jerusalem, right? So basically Zion is like the people of God, the city of God. And, and he says, rejoice, daughters of Zion. And he says, shout aloud, right? Shout triumphantly, realize you've won. Well, why? Why should they be shouting aloud? Why would he quote this passage? Why are they triumphant? Why should they be rejoicing? Well, because the king is coming. You see what the passage says? Because your king is coming to you, right? Which is good news. Now, in the context that they came from, it's not good news when you knew your king was coming. Okay? Because who was your king? It was the same people that mutilated and crucified 2,000 of y'all many years ago. But now he said, no, no, no. You can rejoice. Your king, wink, wink, is coming. Right? And look what he says. He says, well, okay, rejoice. My king is coming. Why should I be rejoicing? Now, I love this. Look at the passage. He says, because your king, in verse 9, is righteous. 
Behold, your king is coming to you righteous, the scriptures say. Righteous, okay? Now look at that. Why is it important that your king be righteous if you are the Jews? First, righteous and just, right, is a sense of, of standing up for what is right, okay? So if that's the heart, so we're saying that Jesus stands up for what's right, okay? But the Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not even one in Romans 3, okay? So it's not that, okay, he stands up and you, you must be right, so he's going to stand up for you. See, the beauty of this is it, um, we can't earn righteousness no matter what. Righteousness in itself, because no one is right, no, not even one, righteousness has to be given to you and me. He has to be given to anyone because there's only one righteous one, Jesus, right? So righteousness has to be given to you in order for you to be right. And it reminds me, uh, I was just thinking uh, when I was just spending time with the Lord, my brother used to play football. Uh, he played professional a few years in, at the Patriots. But I remember two distinct moments where this, to me, it ministered to me like, yeah, it was like when I was with my brother. He was at WVU, West Virginia Mountaineers. Just, they were really good at this point. Never won defense in the nation. Took some friends of mine. I was at Miami of Ohio. We drove out to see him play a Monday night, I mean, it was a, uh, like a Saturday night game, college game, and uh, playing the Miami Hurricanes. And I remember going, and I remember, this, remember, like, I'm just this, you know, nobody from Miami of Ohio. But you know what? I really wasn't. You know why I wasn't a nobody? Because my brother was the leading tackler on the number one defense in the nation. You see that? And so what was interesting is when I got to West Virginia with my team, my crew, Guys from my corridor, I was an RA trying to minister to these guys the gospel. Wanted to give them some fun time. Took them out to a D1 game. And we go, and man, you know what? I look real normal like everybody else. But I had a little pass, right? I had a pass that said I was family. I was family, right? So guess what? Little old regular E and his cronies who all look goofy just like everybody else, we actually could walk past everybody else and go right through the gate. But then I was like, yo, I don't just get to go through the gate. They said this pass actually lets me go in the locker room. So then I go in the locker room and I get to go and hug my brother, give him five. All my friends are just like looking at all these huge dudes and stuff, right? And as we're standing in the corner and I'm just walking around, I'm checking out the D1 locker room and seeing how they do. I'm just like, man, this is, this is awesome. You know what was cool? See, I was nobody, but it depended on who I knew. See, based on who I knew, I was somebody. And so what I love about the whole concept of righteousness, I remember seeing it again when, I was with the, when my brother was with the Patriots. I remember, he said, hey, e, we're playing. We're going to be in your town. Um, I want you, want you to come see me and be at this hotel. So first, I knew which hotel they were in because he's my brother. Right. But then I went to the hotel and it was cool because if you ever go to a hotel when the NFL players are playing, it is locked down. I took my man to do um, uh, we did we did a little um, what do you call it when I, when I, I talked to the players before a chapel and it was it was locked down. I mean, you try to get on the elevator, you get beat down. You understand where you going, bro? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. I'm, you know, and so what was cool is even though it was locked down because I was his brother. I had another pass. And it was like, I'm actually here. I'm Bernard Russ's brother. Now, they go, oh, okay. First of all, they're like, you know. Then you're like, I'm Bernard. Oh, hi, hi. They get nice. You know, like, oh, you're frowning. About to beat me down. Now you're cool with me. You know, it's crazy. 
And now I get to go over and talk with my brother, and I get to see um, these guys are probably old to you guys, but they were like stars when I was younger, like Willie McGinnis, and I get to hang with Chris Slade and all these guys, and I'm like shaking their hands and, and just talking with them, and I'm thinking, wow, this is cool. I'm hanging with NFL players, and they're being nice to me, and they don't even know me. The only reason they're being nice to me is because they know my brother. It's the only reason. See, righteousness is, is if, you, if you get that analogy at all, it pales in comparison to the issue of righteousness. See, the beauty about righteousness is that you are evil. We are horrible. We, we, I mean, we are just so other than God. But God is fully righteous. And what he does, he says, yes, you're right. You can't stand before a holy God. You can't even approach a holy God. But you know me. People who know Jesus, see, not because of who you are, but because you know Jesus, you get a pass. Right? The Holy Spirit puts a stamp on you, and now you can go in places that you couldn't even go to before. See, that's what he's talking about here. So when he says rejoice, the reason why he tells, I, I get on you guys to say, sing out that crazy, because I'm saying, guess what? You know somebody. God is saying that because of who you know, you don't have to stand like the regular folk. You can rejoice. You see what he's saying here? So he's saying, no, 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 no. You're right. No one righteous, no, not even one. Ah, but there is one, Jesus. See, now here's, here's what's cool about that. If we got that, if he's righteous, he's not wicked. Now, that's, I love that. So if he's righteous, he's not wicked. Now, that don't mean much to anybody in here unless somebody has done you wrong before. Wait a minute, ain't nobody been done wrong up in here? Ain't nobody got a bad landlord? Ain't nobody got a bad job situation? You ever had someone just lie on you, slander? You ever had issues? Everybody cool? No, there's no effects of the fall in your life? See, see, I, see you think, man, that's getting too practical. You know we're reformed here, Eric. No, 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 no. This is extremely practical. You think, see, that's why Jesus said this. That's why, that's why God said this to first century Jews had been beaten down year after year for centuries. He's telling them, I know you've been done wrong. I know things have happened to you where you say, man, that's not right. And the reason why you can rejoice is because you know the righteous one. He makes you right. And then he says, one day I'm going to validate all the things that people have done in you. Let me tell you something. I've had people lie on me. Say things that are just, just not true. Project things. I mean, I think, I, God, can I keep 100? I think part of the pastorate is this, you're just going to be a big old projecting mic. People just, things that stick to you. I'm amazed. And that's not crying. I'm not crying in a river. It's just real. And it's taken me years to, get, to deal with it. I'm like, man, how did that come to me? I didn't. It's part of the deal. I'm, I get it now. You know what my hope is? You know why I still smile while I'm still goofy? It's because I know I have a righteous God. And one day God is going to look at all that and go, let me validate. You weren't crazy. They were. That's my only hope. My only hope is that a sovereign, good God is going to say, no, you was doing right to lead through the Bible. That's my only hope. Now, don't get me wrong here. Some of us hear that and we get excited. We go, get him, God, kill him, do your thing to him. Ah." No, no, no. See, that's the whole point. He's not wicked. You see that? See, my heart here isn't that God gets them. My heart is that God's going to make it right. He might make it right by saving them, by having them confess. I don't know. He might make it right through turmoil. He might get him. But I don't know and I don't care. My beauty, and what lets me rest, is my God is righteous. 
is that I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he's going to do it. Praise the Lord. See, I've had evil authority in my life. I, you try to do what's right. You in here right now, you're like, man, it's just hard. It's hard out here doing right. I got to get mine. No, 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 no. When you think like that, you're forgetting he's righteous. Don't, don't, guys, don't ever let, don't ever let the, 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 the end justify the means. Don't ever say, oh, no, I want this, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something a little shady so I can get here. Please, please trust that God is righteous. Do things God's way. He's righteous. He'll take care of it. That's the whole point. whole point of God being righteous is that he will take care of it. The tables will turn one day. And that's why the scriptures say in Matthew 5.12, persecuted for those who, who, just, who, who love righteousness. Persecuted are those, right? He says, you're going to be persecuted. It's going to be crazy for righteousness sake. But he says, but God, God got you. See, those beatitudes mean something when you think about God's character and you think about your journey. See, that makes me happy. That gets me excited. Look, 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 keep looking though. So he's righteous. That's one reason why you rejoice. But also look what it says in the verse. It says, and having salvation. You see that? He does something else. The word is actually literally saved. Now, many writers in your, in your text says it in all kinds of different ways. Because I think we're scared of saying that Jesus had to be saved. But I actually want to propose to you. To change the literal meaning, I think, messes up the text a little bit. I think saying saved actually shows you the posture and the movement of what God is trying to communicate in John 12. Let me explain that as I I continue to go on. So this whole concept of, of being saved is only used two other times in the whole Old Testament. Right? So I want to propose to you what he's trying to say is that the king is coming unlike... Unlike the strong warrior who's, who's kind of on steroids and got anger issues, right? That's not how he's coming. But he's coming humble and meek and mild, right? This is not, this is, he's mounting a donkey on a colt, the fall of a donkey. Let's process that a little bit. So donkeys, we might, we have, we, we, we despise donkeys. We think donkeys just in themselves look weird and, you know, but we don't understand that in, 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 in antiquity, actually donkeys Kings and king's sons actually rode on donkeys. So you go, what's going on here? Okay, not only is God saying, I'm going to ride on the the, the child of the donkey, but people rode on donkeys, kings and king's sons, when it was peacetime. See, you rode on a horse when you were going into war. You hear me? You get that? You You rode on a warrior's horse when you're going into war. And he rode on donkeys when you're saying, I want to make peace. I'm coming here not to kill you. Not yet. I'm coming here to make peace. And I love that he not only rides on a donkey, he rides on a child of the donkey. You hear that, guys? What's the point there? Hear this. Here's the posture of the text. God is trying to say that here's a king who's coming who can destroy you, who should destroy you, whom you're supposed to be worshiping, whom you're supposed to be his enemy. He should come and just wreak havoc. The second coming should have been the first coming. And he says, no, 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 I'm not coming like that because of my love, because how much I love you, because of my mercy, because of my pity. And he says, I'm going to come actually not like that yet. I'm actually going to come and say, listen, I'm not, I don't want to kill you. I want to love you. Would you please 
Put down your idols. See, I'm convinced that the triumphal entry is, is God's way of begging us to repent. It's God's way. Every year I've said, guys, if you forget, I'm really asking you, I'm really trying to tell you I am truly the king and I need you to repent because I will destroy the evil. I'm righteous. It will happen. You know, I, um, peacemaking. Um, reading with uh, one of my joys, uh, I have many joys in my house because God's been really gracious to me. One of my joys is reading the Bible with my boys right now. And we're, we're, um, we're in Genesis 21. And they read the Bible to me and then we kind of parse it out. And then we're reading the story of Abimelech. Okay? So here you got Abraham walking up on the dude. Second time he's done this, he walks up, gets scared, sees the king, and says, hey, got his boo in his arms and says, baby, don't touch me right now. They might kill us both. That's my sister. Right? And Elijah says, that ain't my wife. That's my sister. Abimelech says, oh, that's your sister. Hook me up, bro. And we're going on a date. Girl, I'm going to take you on a date. We're going to let's do this. They go out. Right? God says, Abimelech, hey, uh, guess what? Um, that girl you're kicking it with, she married. And guess what? If you don't go back and give her back, I'm going to kill you. All right? Abimelech looking at God like, well, hold up. He told me she was free. I was just trying to, you know, nice little sister here. I thought, what's up? Let's do this. He's like, no, no, no. She's married, all right? And so Abimelech goes to Abraham and says, why did you do this? Why would you tell me that that was your sister and get me in trouble with Yahweh? I don't even know your guy, but now I know him. And he was about to kill me and told me I got like four hours to get this right. And then, you know what, the past, look at the past. You know what I love about God's sovereignty? So then Abimelech starts talking about, Hey, you know, uh, I, I was going to do this. You need to, why'd you tell me, why'd you say this to me? And then God says, no, 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 no. He says, see, I am blessing you. I'm telling you, I'm the one who made you not sin. This is God talking to Abimelech. Abimelech thought, you know, well, I'm glad I didn't do nothing yet. God said, no, 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 don't you get it? I controlled you to make sure you didn't do nothing so I wouldn't have to kill you. That's sovereignty. You didn't do nothing, Abimelech. I saved you and him. That's what he said to Abimelech. Check out the, check out the passage. But you know what I thought about? My boy said, Daddy, like, no, don't, don't need to go to Abraham. No, here's a kicker. So then Abimelech, Abimelech, you think he'll be mad, right? He goes, he's mad, but then he says, hey, you shouldn't have done that. I'm so mad at you, Abraham. Now I'm going to give you some sheep and some goat and oxen. I'll make you rich. <laughs> Does that weird you out? Weird me out. Somebody play you like that. You don't give them sheep and oxen? You don't give them a Cadillac? No. You're going to say, take it, girl, and get out of my face. He not only gives the wife back, he starts giving them stuff. And I still, to this day, don't understand why he gave him stuff. Because God didn't tell him to give him stuff. God didn't say, give him his wife and some sheep. Have you thought about that? You know what it shows me? That is nothing but foreshadowing, guys. My kids, I love it. They got a, they got a measure of God's grace. Here's a guy who clearly sins, who clearly doesn't trust God, who turns his back on the Lord and tries to save himself. God not only saves him, not only protects him, but then blesses him while he's in the middle of sinning. And I looked at my kids and they said, why is that? Why are they giving them stuff? I said, because that's God's grace. Well, what is God trying to teach us right now? He's trying to teach us that he's merciful. He's trying to teach us that he, he's just good, that he loves us. Yeah. 
You hear that? See, Luke 19.41, after, after this triumphal entry, guys, you know what happens in the scriptures? After the triumphal entry, in Luke, Luke 19.41, it says, Jesus weeps over the city. You know why? Because I think, I think I'm wanting something here that this is about God crying out, being brokenhearted, seeing us grabbing these idols and trusting in stupid stuff. And he says, he tells them, I'm coming in like a donkey. I'm coming in begging and saying, man, I don't want to destroy you guys. Please give yourself to me. And he looks out of the city and it says he weeps. It says he weeps right after the entry. You know why? Because I think that's the posture. It makes sense to me now. 19, chapter 19 makes sense to me. It's a gracious God who's heartbroken because of the things we run to. Everybody in this room, the things we run to. And he's saying to you right now, okay, I see you at church. I, I, I know you, 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 some of us, we're thriving in the Lord and some of us are playing games. I don't know your heart. God knows your heart. And he's trying to say, hey, don't you understand? Don't you get it? This is, this is serious. This is not just, this is not just some made man religion. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me, let me go on. I don't know what the issue is in your life. I don't know if you're resentful. I don't know if your issue is ungratefulness. I don't know what the struggle is. Ask yourself, what holds you from just saying, Lord, here I am. Here's my stuff. Here's the sin I just cannot shake. Lord, I just want to confess my idol worship. When's the last time you sat and you kneeled down before the Lord? You said, Lord, I worship this idol and I ask for your forgiveness. When have you called it an idol? When have you just said, Lord, I want to get right. I want you to do something in my life. I'm just asking you, Lord, thanks for giving me the grace to realize that Holy Spirit do something in my heart. He's asking for that posture now, guys. See, the liturgical calendar is a beautiful calendar, and that's why we miss something in evangelicalism. Because if we have the right heart, God gives us you, he's almost like a reset button. God is saying, well, Easter is about, about looking at your life and going, okay, this last year, was I, was I given to the Lord? And then if not, not going, woe is me, going, man, thank, thank you, Lord, you're so merciful that you didn't kill me. And here's my day where I can say, Lord, today I'm trying to injure you. You've come to say, settle accounts. We're here. Here's my money. I'm bankrupt. I need you. That seems to be the flow. And look what he says as we close out, guys. In verse 16, his disciples, it says, did not understand these things at first. Why would they say that? Why, why would they say that if it was so plain and simple? We just think, oh, he's on the donkey and the people throwing plants at him. And, oh, this is cool. And he's really popular. They saw there was something deeper. They're like, this is deeper than some plants. What's going on? He quoting Zechariah and stuff. Like, what's up? And he said, they didn't even understand. You know why? Because I think this was the posture. I know y'all know that they're right now while I'm coming down here with this little donkey, they're over there marching in with their big old centurions and all this stuff. And people looking and they're scared. And they're looking at you and they're looking at me and they're going, which king is it? Which king? Who do I serve? Who do I serve? They didn't understand it at first. But when he was glorified, when they murdered him, then they remembered that these things had been written about him, had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And these people. All right, so who are these people? Real quick. So you got a bunch of people. You know, sometimes look at the triumphal entry, like, look at all this worship, people worshiping God. But wait a minute now, did they love Jesus? Oh, not a lot of them. Right? They heard, he, they heard he performed a sign, and they were a fickle crowd. You know how we know? 
Because in, in a week, he gets murdered in front of that crowd. All right? And there weren't a ton of people going, don't crucify him. Guess what the crowd said in unison? Crucify him. Same catch. Throwing plants. Said, kill him. So don't get it twisted, right? Now, this is hard. How, you can't tell false worships in crowds, though, right? You think you look at it, you go, man, they just loving Jesus. Look at everybody. Hey, ho. Like, look, this is, they just loving him. This is awesome. Right? But you know why you can't tell false crowds in worship in, in, that, in that kind of context? Because it's untested. It's untested worship. It's short-lived. It's empty. It's uninformed. It's un- right? See, see, so now you get it. Now you get your life. Now you get why you get tested. Now do I get why I get tested? You see? See, testing, not that it shows God who you are. It shows you who you are. God wants you to know. You know how we are when we're believers and you're on the phone with somebody and you find out your, your friend tried to dog you and you get him on freeway. You know what I'm saying? And you start, hey, are you telling him now? And you, you know, bring me up and see what he says, you know. And you know I'm street. You know how, you know, that's how I used to be. I know y'all ain't have freeway now because y'all got all this other stuff. But that's back in the ancient days. You didn't have cell phones though. you had freeway. And we thought we were doing something. All right. And then... You knew the person was trying to play you. You just wanted him to know you knew. You know what I'm saying? That's all God doing. You know, um, I have a friend that I've been praying. Have you guys prayed for? You know, out of the blue. You know, when out of the blue, that's not true. I'm sorry. Told his wife I want to get a divorce. Boom. So, in the process, you know, we're all counseling him, talking all, going off about this guy. You know what this guy said to me? I wrote it down so I didn't miss it. This was a couple days ago. He said, man, Eric, he said, I went to Ivy League school. Here I am, 37, with a bum career and a bum marriage. All I asked from God was for one to work. You hear that? It's a lie in there. You hear what he said? Do with the Cornell. I'm brilliant, E. I'm the Cornell. I got my, my other degree from Gordon Conwell. I'm, I'm about to be a doctor right now. And he says, hey, how in the world am I 37? All I want to get. Now, look, look, how, look how fickle he is. All I wanted guys to do is give me one of them. He ain't even mad enough to say I want the marriage and my job to work. Okay, take the marriage, whatever. At least give me a good job. Oh, don't give me a good job. At least let my marriage be off the chain. That's what he said to me. Four years in seminary. Educated. You know what it really was about? God was showing him. Here's the real reason you're serving me. You're serving me to fulfill your desires. See, you're serving. I, I'm going to take you through all this to one day have you go, oh, it was really about you trying to get your good marriage you trying to make sure that you had a good job. And it took me 10 and 11 years to allow the, 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 the wars of the world and Satan's lies to show you. But look at you. Guys, I don't mean to yell, but man, it broke my heart with my, with my close friends to do that. Man. See, don't miss this. Some of us in here, are chasing, you're chasing your own fulfillment. You're chasing your own fulfillment. 
And you, and you, and you know what? And then God keeps wrecking your life. And, and you know what? I'm, I pray, I pray God keeps wrecking your life until you see that it's not about God so that it can be about God. I had another friend. His dad's really popular. Wayne Grudem is his dad. Elliot Grudem, dear friend of mine. His public deal, he know, he, he'll tell you. I remember the same thing. Got out of college, gifted bruh. Uh, started trying to chase the business world. Him and his wife, Casey, love the Lord. This deep brother, disciple me in college. Running around trying to do all this business stuff. Man, I mean, it was like off a of TV, like a sitcom. This situation, the situation would have happened to this brother. And I'm like, he like, what's wrong, E? So we get, that was a 90, I, you know, I got saved in 94, hooked up 96. From 96 to like 2000, he just drama after drama after drama. What's wrong, E? And the Lord just put on my heart to say, man, I, I just feel like you running from what God wants you to do. And he just ain't gonna let you be settled. Your wife, your wife mad at you. Things ain't working out in the business world. It seems like God is giving you favor to be doing the best, taking the best hours of your work and being in ministry. I don't know. He's been doing some, he's been doing some stuff. Uh, he's, he's been Acts 29 now doing, I mean, thriving in the Lord. I wonder, I don't know. I wonder if God was like, okay, you keep chasing your own thing. See what happens. I wonder. I wonder. You go with Eric. I think you're kind of being hard on them. You're being hard on us. I say, no, 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 no. Look at verse 18. That's the reason why they did it. Look, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done a sign. See that? It's fickle. And my prayer is that as I lead, as Leon leads, as our elders lead, we would we train and hope to point you to a heart of worship that you're not fickle. All right? What do you have here, guys? You have a contrast between two kingdoms. That's what's going on. You know what the flow is? It's God is saying, hey, there is a kingdom that you're a part of. I see the army. I see what's going on there. I see what they do to you. I see what they've done to you. But he said, there's another kingdom. He has another king. He does things another way. And guess what? His kingdom is over this kingdom. His kingdom reigns over it. His kingdom has, has destroyed death. His kingdom has destroyed demons. His kingdom has destroyed Satan. His kingdom has destroyed evil. But it looks so unlike the natural realm that you got to have spiritual eyes to see it. You got to have spiritual eyes to see this kingdom because this kingdom serves people and doesn't just try to consume. This kingdom loves people and prays for their enemies. This kingdom is in people's lives and giving their life out as a drink offering it. This kingdom retells the story of their king. That's this kingdom. In fact, the hardest part about this kingdom is, is in a natural realm. All of us, we want to fulfill our desires and have a happy life. And this kingdom is a total antithesis to that. That necessarily in this kingdom, your life becomes a wreck at some level because you're fighting and warring against Satan. Can somebody testify to that? You, we don't want to admit it. We don't want to admit you can, you, I have joy. I will, I'm going to buy God's going to be a Christian to the day I drop dead. But I'm telling you, the fight is hard. Even though I enjoy Jesus, I love Jesus and I feel fulfilled and I leave and I go, thank you, Lord, that my life counts. I am a tired brother. 
And so I think the lie is we go, but but that kingdom seems so much easier. You actually get your back scratched and people just, it's just better. It looks like it. A book I want to encourage you to read, Pilgrim's Progress. I love the allegory in that that book. Right now, we just read a passage in our our town with the kids at night where ignorance, uh, you know, he's just kind of settling for that kingdom. It's basically where the matrix, the matrix lied. It got everything from the Bible. All right. They stole it. And Jesus already said he ain't going to sue people. So that's why he ain't sue them. That old red, blue pill, that ain't nothing but pilgrim progress. Where you're sitting there and you look at the two kingdoms. And he says, which one do you want? Do you want to just act like this doesn't exist and eat your steak? Even though you know it's a, see, that's the thing. You, you in this room, you are now held accountable. You cannot say, I tell my kids, I love you to death. I pray you will walk with Jesus. They got a choice to make one day, though. Apart from me, apart from me giving them the, the holy gospel brainwashed by God's grace, apart from walking around and seeing godly people, they have to make a decision for themselves to say, I'm going to choose God's kingdom. And all the craziness that comes with it. It's a narrow road for a reason in the Bible. It's a hard road in the reason for the Bible. It's a, it's, a, it's a road where he says, you're going to be persecuted for a reason. So, here's the thing. This crowd, they got it wrong. They wanted Jesus to be like the other king, but just on their side. You hear me? They wanted an evil king that liked them. That's what we want. You really want righteousness or do you just want someone who's going to allow you to have the things you've always wanted and the power you always wanted and to free you up to do everything you wanted? You want a righteous king who's going to tell you, no, I see you have that urge and that desire to do that. That's wrong. Trust me. You want that kind of king? I see, the, I see how you're thinking about that scenario. It's all about you. I want you to repent of that. I want you to be other sinner. You want that kind of king? Okay, how do I do this as a pastor? That's good and it's awesome. And I'm telling you, it's not fake. It's real. But it is hard. I struggle as a pastor. How do I sell Christianity? But be honest. <laughs> he rose. That's why I can sell it. I always tell my wife, I love being a Christian. I love being a Christian leader. Because the difference between me and everybody else who's selling all this other stuff, like cigarettes and joints and all this stupid stuff, is I ain't got to market Jesus, right? He ain't competing with nobody. See, you know what I'm saying? Like, Coles is competing with Newports. You understand? Jesus has no competition. See, the whether you think he's king or not is irrelevant. You understand? He's the king. Whether you think, and you say, well, I think you're the king. He's like, I don't care what you think. I'm the king of the world. I love that. I love, and, and, and trust me, my swag is like a gospel swag. I, I love the, the, the gospel courage that it gives a person when you go, I ain't, oh, he ain't no competitor. It's like, I ain't up here and going to be found out. Like, you're going to find Jesus toe in the corner or something. See, here he is. He didn't die. He didn't rise from the dead. You ain't going to find nothing. He rose from the dead. 
You see what I'm saying? There's beauty in that. There's beauty in the fact that Jesus actually did what he said he's going to do, which means what he said about who you are and who he is and what he's going to do is going to happen. That's why you can rejoice in the midst of all that's going on in your life. Did he need saving? Actually, absolutely. Not from his sin. The Bible says he needed saved. God, he was dead and God rose him. He was saved because of our sin, right? God saved him in the sense that he rose Jesus from the dead and made him victor over Satan and death and evil and sin. The scripture says, lay down his life. And what, and what that means, guys, he's a peacemaker. So I leave with this. The triumphal entry is about God saying, I've come to make peace. That's the whole point. I want you to get right and follow me because everything else is futile and is destructive and will destroy you. It's a begging passage. It's, I mean, a righteous, holy God giving us a little time to say, come on, man, please. How beautiful is that? That the sovereign king of the world would do that for you and me. Mm. My prayer is... Um, we would, we would listen to these terms of peace and we would receive them because after these terms of peace, there will be a judgment. God is saying, right now I'm coming on this donkey looking all crazy and one day I'm going to come on a triumphant white horse. And he said, the scripture says I'm going to be tatted up too. Tattoos all on me. Talking about righteous and powerful. And he said, I'm coming. And he says, I'm coming not to take names. I'm coming to take over. And so that's why this week, pastors all over the world, people all over the world are saying, settle accounts. So guys, I want to encourage you as we, as we move into what does it mean to live outside of this? Man, that's why we tell people about Jesus. That's why we are neighboring, okay? That's why you go and tell others about the Lord. That's why we ask you to invite people here. I want to ask you to do that. I also want to ask you to think about discipleship, being, uh, you know, being a member in our local body. Getting disciple, plugging in, being in one-on-one relationships. You don't know what we mean by that? Ask us so we can plug you in, okay, and get you, get you, get you rocking and rolling so you can be, we can just maximize God's glory in your life for his kingdom. Okay? That's our heart. Um, we're going to take a time of communion and, and, uh, and tithe, okay? But my prayer again is God is saying through the triumphal entry is that man, the righteous one is here. And now it's time to settle accounts. My prayer is that we'll be doing that as a body and we'll be exhorting people in God's grace, hopefully through the training of the scriptures to do the same. Okay. Um, right now we're going to do a time, a time of tithe.